The Bible says after the death of John, Jesus came preaching. One translation said spreading his ideas. And they all came down to this. The time has come. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe the gospel. From the original language, the time has already come. The kingdom of God is upon you. Keep repenting and practice believing wherever you see the kingdom rise. The story is apocryphal, but most of it is true. It's been told many times. It is August of 2017. The Russian Orthodox Church has called a conference for the first time in almost 200 years, at least since Peter the Great, which was in the 1700s. Everyone in the church is leaning in because the times are volatile. They're waiting for the church to do something. The public is restless. The government was disempowered. The nation was weary of the war. And the people were angry. They were condemning their leaders. They had abandoned their God. And so when the church convened, someone began by recommending it reorder itself. Someone suggested they move back to a patriarchate, which is like one office. It's like a pope. It's like one person who's over the entire church. Prior to that, for at least a couple hundred years, the church was more of a collegial system. And someone was saying, no, we need to have one person who just speaks to the entire church. After that, they decided the role of the priest should be redefined. And if we're redefining the role of the priest, we should start talking about the vestments. The vestments are important, of course, in the Orthodox Church. And somewhere in their debate over the vestments that priests would wear, and a dispute arose among them as to whether they would be white or purple. Both of them have meanings, though different. Well, if you've never been inside of a church conference or a gathering, you have no idea how the church can get lost in, in minutia. Well, they were in the process of getting lost in minutia until finally after several weeks, really, of debate, they settled and those who wanted white won the day. Meanwhile, 500 miles away in what is now called St. Petersburg, the Bolsheviks had consolidated their power and had appointed one Vladimir Lenin over them. Within a matter of weeks, they would move into the government and take it over. Lenin's first act was to declare a separation of church and state, and then after that, to confiscate the property from the churches, and then after that, to round up the priests and persecute, and in some cases, execute. 
Within five years, the government had created its own church, which they called the renovated church, and they embedded it inside of the Orthodox church, which split the church even more. The irony is that most, if not all, of what the church decided in their conference, the first in 200 years, was either ignored or overturned within the next six months. While the Bolsheviks were plotting a revolution, the church was plotting the color of vestments for priests who would be killed in less than three years. There is a price to be paid for being irrelevant. But so far as I can tell, there are two ways to be irrelevant, not one. One is to ignore the times. The other is to become engrossed in the times. When we ignore the times, we lose the moment. We lose our opportunity. We get caught up in trivial arguments about things that won't matter in six months. But when we get engrossed by the times, we lose our distance and we lose our message. We get taken over by whatever message is popular in the day. We chase relevance and end up irrelevant. We follow the culture instead of lead it. Now, from what I can tell in the last... uh, couple of years at least, there has been in the American church two voices, both of them afraid that the church is becoming irrelevant for one reason or the other. Some who either stop me or write to me or others are afraid that the church does not pay attention to the times. They wonder why it is the streets are on fire. There is systemic injustice. We are losing black lives. There is a crisis at the border. The middle class is being depleted. The income is moving to the upper 1%. The capital itself is threatened. We're at risk of losing our democracy and we are afraid and we're confused and we come into our churches and what do we hear? Little moral lessons about how to be good people while the country is on fire. And it seems to me, they tell me, That all of this, the worship and the sermons and the programs that the church is so busy working on is a little bit like the band playing near my God to thee while the Titanic goes under. We have lost touch with the times. We no longer are becoming the kind of people called for by the times in which we live. Something has to change. I say, yes. That's some of you. I have just touched that nerve in some of you. I've said it. What you've said 
in private gatherings. But while you were saying that, there were other people in this room that were saying something else. They were saying, no, we are becoming irrelevant because we've lost our message. We've lost our distance. We no longer have anything to say. We're like the person with his nose pressed up against the mirror. We can't get any distance from the times in which we live. We can't see what is really happening because we're so busy chasing what happened last week. We let the media decide what determines or what should be talked about, and then that becomes the talking points for our next sermon. So we start to wonder if the church has lost its message and has become nothing more than a vassal for the real authorities of the country, which is the media or the causes or the political parties. And has the church lost its language? Do we simply repeat the same tired tropes that we hear on social media? Is it possible, Steve, that we could have an agenda of our own, one that doesn't come out of the news? Steve, I worry not that our pastors don't read the news. I worry that they read only the news and they are no longer conversant in the one book they were told to master. And I say, amen. So last fall, thinking about Epiphany, I sat in dark rooms all over the church in the early morning. And I prayed and I tried to listen I read, I tried to discern, and I was wondering, is there a message that is close enough to what is really happening that it's relevant, and yet it is big enough that it's eternal? Is there something not in the middle that both, but over us? Is there something that can capture all of these causes that we are so passionate about without losing the mystery of the gospel that changed our lives? I was in Mark at the time. I hit Mark 115. The time has come. The kingdom of God is upon you. Repent and believe this gospel. What gospel? That the kingdom of God is upon you. It seemed irrelevant at first. And then the more I looked at it, and the more I would meditate on that, it started to seem as profound as it was simple. It was in intensely practical, and yet at the same time, it was far-reaching. It was not of this world, but it touched everything in this world. It was an untimely voice that didn't come from this world, but from another. And yet, it brought things together in a way that was compelling to me. 
The kingdom of God has come. That is the gospel. I wondered if that might somehow speak to both sides because there are some in the church today whose voice is loud and they are deeply informed by what is happening. But every other week that they show up or we see them, they have another cause. They have another list of complaints. There is something else that is bothering them. The subject always changes. And the church feels like it can't trust them because we don't know where those voices come from. We don't know who's discipling them. And, and yet, there's something in us that says they're right. A lot of what they're saying is right, but we don't know where they're getting this. And so we, we're slow to embrace them. If we knew that their vision for the future was anchored and grounded in the vision of God, if they would quote Jesus as often as they do someone else, we would embrace it. We'd have to. And yet, I wondered if there are others in the church uh, who are too quiet, who have turned church into a gathering, into a worship service, and worse than that, into one after their own preferences. So churches are good churches if they do what those individuals agree with. And I wondered if the kingdom of God would not restore the church's social imagination, if it would give us language that was bigger than anything else, a compelling vision, a moral center to all of the other things we're arguing about, if it could be for some of us a summons, a holy agenda, if you will, a kick in the pants to get involved in the community, because the way it is going in America right now, when churches simply cloister into silos filled with liturgies, it is getting harder and harder to defend them. How are you doing? Are you all right? Yes? I discovered when I looked into this, that Jesus was getting his language from Isaiah. Isaiah lived 750 years before Jesus, and the king in his day was Ahaz, and he was waffling. The, the scripture says he was shaken like the trees driven by the wind, and everybody else was shaken with him. And so, if I'm reading this right, um, the king and his people uh, were restless, and the government was disempowered, and it was weary of war, and the public was getting angry and cynical, hungry and afraid. And Isaiah came to the 
pulpit of his day and he told his audience, which was diminishing, that the time had come. He said something like this. We live in an extraordinary time that is unlike any other time in our lifetimes. It is a moment of decision. It's an hour of truth, a point of departure. It is a knot in the timeline of history where options become clear that moment just before decisions harden into fate. We must get this right. What we need, said Isaiah, is not another leader, another government, another administration, another list of programs. We need a new king and a new kingdom. We need someone who can get his arms around the, the soul of our nation and walk in it with us. Something like a wonderful counselor. We need someone like a father who can touch what is primal in every individual and call out our best humanity. We need someone who can bring peace and righteousness, justice together, not justice without righteousness and not righteousness without justice. We need someone who can bring justice and righteousness and peace to our nation. And this person is a different kind of king. It is almighty God himself. And then he said, the king has already arrived in the form of a child. And his kingdom has taken hold Small, subtle, imperceptible, but it's there. And the king has found his people. And his people are starting to come together. And this kingdom is on the rise. And it will never end. You can ignore it. You can fight with it. But you can't stop it. And you can't overpower it because it's inevitable. It will rise like the dawn, and that's bigger than all of us. The night is fading away. The morning has broken. The day is upon us, and the king has big plans for the day. <laughs> and they ignored him. like religious people always do. The odd thing is that Isaiah said this when none of it was true. He said the king would be the end of your exile and Israel had not even gone into exile. So the darkness was even going to get worse and the people even more confused. 
but he made his statement. You see, God has a way, church, of talking about things long before they're happening as if they had already happened. I don't know how he does this. In Romans, it says, he calls things that are not as though they were. And because he calls them, they come into being. And they're inevitable. They start happening on the day he calls them, even when it seems to the public like nothing has happened yet. And that's what the king would bring, he said. Do you see why I started to wonder if this was not the message, really, that the church needs to hear today? This kingdom of God, this realm, this place where God is famous again with his people. It isn't just heaven. The kingdom of God is a presence. It is the presence of God in a particular place that is distinct from other places. And in that place, the people of God do the work of God in the power of God. So the kingdom of God is not just heaven. The kingdom of God is God himself. It is Jesus. So we can't have the kingdom without having Jesus. And we can't bring the kingdom without bringing Jesus. That means we can't have it any way we want. We can't say anything we want or push any agenda that we want and pay for it with a check called kingdom of God. Because if we don't bring it in the way of Jesus, it is not his kingdom. It's ours. All we can do is make a road. We can't make any of this happen. Any of us, not even together. We can just make a road for the king to travel on. But we better be sure that the road we're making is one he wants to travel on. It has to be like him. And the kingdom of God is not just a bunch of people living in righteousness, justice, and peace. As Paul said in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is always located in a particular place. At the very beginning, it is God with his people in the Garden of Eden. Around it is a world that is formless and void, but there is a garden, and God is in it with his people. And it stands in stark contrast to the chaos of the surrounding world. After that, it's a tabernacle that the people of God build for God in the wilderness. 
So it stands in contrast to the chaos and the barrenness of the wilderness. After that, it's a city. It's Zion. It's a city that rises above all of the confusing religions and the international wars that were happening. And so the psalmist speaks of the king being enthroned in a city called Zion. You see, what I'm saying is there is always a place. And in that place, God lives in a way peculiar to all other places. Do you know what this means for you? This means that your families and your businesses, your locker rooms, your classrooms, your boardrooms, your living rooms, they can be places where the kingdom of God has settled again. If you want something bigger than that, you want wrong. That is beyond your pay grade. Take responsibility for the family God has given you. Take responsibility for your schools and your workspace. Own it and lead it like Jesus. And the kingdom of God, small as a child, will take hold. And it will rise. And no one can stop it. Church, this is our message. Not something else. Not something less. The cause whether it's justice or freedom or sanctity or diversity or economics, whatever cause that is driving you this morning is probably right, but it's small. <laughs> it belongs to a bigger picture that belongs to the king himself. Church, I know that you feel this morning as if all of this is too big for you. As if the work you're doing is not really making that much of a difference. You wonder why you work so hard and then next week something happens that just sets you back five years. You ask yourself, don't you? Is this really going to matter in the end? I have news for you. There is a kingdom. And it is not of this world. Yet it touches everything in this world. Wherever it rises, the blind begin to see. The deaf 
can start to hear. The lepers, the unclean, they are cured and welcomed back into the family. The lame walk, the dead are raised, the demons are cast out, and the kingdom of God is released on every person. That kingdom is not just coming, it has already landed. This means that the work you're doing is important because it's the same work God is doing at the same time. Your father is working and you are working too on the same things tomorrow morning. You must not lose heart and you must not drift on to some other cause. You live in a storm that you did not create, but you must not sleep and you cannot panic. God has called you into the very places where you live and work. This is not by accident. And he is releasing you, whether you know it or not, to do that work in meaningful ways. But you must be strong and you must be focused and you must not ever quit. Because the king has already arrived. Small as a child, out of the way, completely irrelevant until he takes hold. And then everything else is irrelevant. And the king's people are doing the king's work in the king's power. Church, the night, dark as it is, is almost over. The dawn is rising. Can you not see this? Even if you don't believe this, and despite everything else you hear, God has landed and he has begun to take hold of the kingdoms of this world. That means things are not getting worse, they're getting better. In spite of the news that you hear, and they will keep getting better until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ, and he reigns forever and ever. And when Jesus is king, his house will be lifted above all other religions and the nations of the world will stream into it and they will say in every language and in every dialect, come, let us walk in his ways. And the word of the king will go out and he will settle the disputes between nations 
and armies will beat their swords into plows and they will no longer train for war. Then the king himself will arise and the spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of understanding and the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of counsel, the spirit of power, the spirit of knowledge, it will settle on him and he will settle our disputes not by what he sees with his eyes or hears with his ears. No, no, with a new righteousness and a new justice, he will bring justice to the needy of this world. And with his mouth, he will destroy what is evil. The wolf and its prey, the lion and the things it used to kill will lie down together in peace. And the king himself will stand as a banner over the nations. And they will rally toward him. And he will gather those in exile from all four corners of the earth and they will come shouting and singing salvation belongs to our God we will trust and no longer be afraid you want this but you've given up on it these rituals these liturgies have worn you out You've run from cause to cause breathlessly and you can't find a moral center. You don't have a vision that's bigger than the pieces of it. But I'm here to tell you, despite everything you read and everything you want to believe, the day is upon us. see it? Can you see it? God has big plans for the day. <laughs>